Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it may be, wherever you're at. Welcome back to the show. This is your Deep Route podcast about your favorite football simulation. I'm your host, Coach Goose. And it's only been a week, but it feels like there's been a lot that's happened over this last week. And and I'm, I'm going to start with the, the NBA Finals. I don't know how many of you guys are NBA fans. I'm a pretty big NBA fan, but just like the... Just like when I say I'm a big NFL fan, I'm generally talking about I'm a big fan of one particular team. Originally, I'm from Oklahoma, uh, the Tulsa area, actually, but I don't live there anymore. I'm over in Nashville, but naturally, since I'm from Oklahoma and a basketball fan, I'm a big Oklahoma City Thunder fan. And I can't tell you how thrilled and excited I am to see a small market team like Milwaukee win the NBA championship and and beyond that i'm a big i'm a big Giannis fan um so it's really cool to see him begin to solidify his legacy uh and uh and and win a championship bring a championship back to milwaukee i'm thrilled i had a lot of fun watching it um i don't know if any of you guys are big nba fans but Hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Incredible series, incredible performance by him. A 50-point closeout game. Super cool to watch. Um, But the big news in the sporting world is that the NFL season is 46 days away. I told you last week that this is my favorite time of the year. Because, I mean, you have basketball season ending. and, And we're going into football season. Teams are reporting to training camp. Um, some teams haven't reported. They should all be reported by a week and a half, I believe. Uh, first preseason game is about two weeks away, two and a half weeks away, something like that. Um, I'm thrilled. I am thrilled. I am, I'm about to start eating up all of the NFL news that I can. I'm a part of another message board. So like I mentioned, I'm a Bengals fan. So I'm a part of a, I'm part of a Bengals message board. And, uh, it, it, it gets dark over the offseason, guys. <laughs> it gets pretty dark because we're already bad. And there's not much to talk about when you get into the dead zone of the NFL year. So I'm ready for that to end. I'm ready to see some football. And I'm going to be eating up preseason. Thrilled. And talking about thrills, here's the agenda that we have today. We are at the end of the regular season for 21-21 for League 21. Um, we're going to be talking about the regular season, the awards for me. So I'm going to just go over my picks for MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, and Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I'm going to discuss some rookies that I like. It, I didn't do a rookie of the year. It's really hard. You can't go and look at a list and filter for guys who are on their first season. So I, I didn't take the time to go through and do all of that. Uh, we're going then we're going to go over the official league awards. So the deep route actually has um, official league awards. I'm sure all of you know that, but we'll we'll take a peek through those and and look at those selections. Then we're going to talk about the playoffs and discuss the matchups. So we're going to look at league rankings and look at individual player matchups and see if we can uh, find some find some interesting things to pay attention to for wild card weekend. And then we're going to talk about Conway breaking the passing touchdown record for the height change era. Teams who are on the cusp. 
So we're going to look at some upcoming teams that were really competitive this season. Maybe the ball didn't go their way every single time, um, but they look really, really tough. And I think with certain moves, they could be very competitive next season, make the playoffs. We'll talk about those. And then finally, we're going to end it with favorite moments from this past season. There were a few games that were just crazy, mind-boggling, unique finishes or just unique entire game. We'll talk about those and and uh, and and finish it out there. So to begin, let's talk about league MVP. This was something that I spoke about at um, well at the halfway junction. I spoke about this last week when we were talking about midseason performances and and how there were some players that were really kind of narrowing down their uh, their their um, chances for winning an MVP or Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. And for MVP, it was down to it was down to Conway and Daniel Pyatt. I'd mentioned that someone like Arthur Martell was kind of a dark horse. The team would have to go undefeated, or he would have to have some really big performances in the second half of the season in order to propel him there. He didn't do that. So Arthur Martell is not a part of this conversation. It's down to... Gerald Conway and Daniel Pyatt, and for me personally, you might have. Um, uh, yeah, I know that Playa does his Playa awards, so you might have some different sources here. Um, but for me, the league MVP of League Twenty One is Daniel Pyatt, and it was it was a really close race until, I guess, until the end of the season. I mean, freight train just never. They just never lost. And this, so I'm actually recording this about 30 minutes before the final game of the season runs. So I'm not going to see if Freight Train completes their perfect season. For me, it doesn't really matter. He's benched anyways. The Freight Train are, is sitting their starters. So they're, they're if, and it's not going to affect their seeding at all. Freight Train is currently 15 and 0. Daniel Pyatt has thrown for over 5,000 yards and 43 touchdowns on absolutely ridiculous efficiency. Uh, 103 quarterback rating, which in the current code, in the current era, is pretty ridiculous. So Daniel Pyatt is the selection for me. And I, so I, I mentioned that it became clear when Freight Train just never lost. But I would actually say that there was a three-game span where it really solidified Daniel Pyatt as the as the MVP and it was week I want to say it was week 12 through 14 um I can't remember the exact weeks but it was it was when freight train played Montreal then they played River Sticks and then they played the Reddick Devils so a three game span against three of the top coaches in the league three very tough teams won all of them and they won them off the back of Pyatt. I guess the River Sticks game was also a uh, great display of their defense, but Pyatt, over that three-game span, so against Montreal, against River Sticks, and against Reddick, he threw for 1,033 yards, 10 touchdowns, and no interceptions. Absolutely ridiculous efficiency. And the defining game was against Reddick. So they blew out Reddick. They beat them I don't have the score in front of me. It was something like 48 to 15, something along those lines. And Daniel Pyatt went 47 of 60 for 434 yards and five touchdowns against Reddick. Shelton 
is one of the top coaches of all time. And I felt terrible after last week. I'd spoken about some of the greatest coaches in League 21 history. So I mentioned Shadows. I mentioned Trantor. I mentioned Sixth. I neglected to mention Shelton. Reddick's been to 20 Super Bowls. They've won 16 of them. And they weren't even part of that conversation. Complete, complete mistake by me. Um, But that's the kind of coach that we're talking about. They could put those kind of teams together. And Daniel Pyatt waltzed right into Reddick and dropped 439 yards, five touchdowns on him. Earlier I said 434. I want to make sure Daniel Pyatt gets every single bit of credit that he deserves. 439 yards, not 434. Ridiculous. So he is, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations to Daniel Pyatt. Congratulations to Coach Matt as he is on the precipice of a perfect season. We saw a couple of those. Obviously, Dallas pulled them off. Um, Perfect regular season. Obviously, it's not a perfect season until you cap it off with a Super Bowl. And Freight Train is certainly one of the favorites, if not the favorite. They're the favorite from from the NFC, for sure. Uh, it just depends on who can come out of the AFC that'll that'll compete with them. And, and there's a few teams over there that, that we'll discuss later on. But Freight Train, congratulations, Coach Matt. Coach Matt. Congratulations, Pyatt. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Pyatt on the, over the offseason. It's a contract year. So he's capping off a contract year with undefeated. I mean, he's 15-0. and 0. He's being he's being benched today, so it doesn't matter what happens. So he's undefeated this year. He's got an MVP under his belt. Led him to the first overall seed in the NFC. It's going to be interesting. What kind of money is he commanding? He's probably going to command a max contract. Is he worth it? Is Coach Matt going to give him that max contract? It's going to be interesting. Um... Offensive player of the year. Man, there was uh this this was tough. This was a tough decision. As I was making my notes this morning, I, I I sat here for five minutes trying to figure out who I wanted to give this to. It's down to two players, and they are nearly identical. <laughs> and the teams are nearly identical. I, I don't know who to give this I, I didn't know who to give this to. I ended up just defaulting to um to fame, whoever had the most fame, but if I could give a co-offensive player of the year award, I would. Guys, we're looking at Ollie Williams from the West Lafayette Purdue or West Lafayette Boilermakers and Ryan Branch from the Midwest Minions. What absolutely ridiculous seasons. And again, I'm making this before the the end of the season. So it's completely possible that one of these guys has a wonderful season finale and they really separate themselves from the rest of the pack and from each other. I didn't want to wait until 8.30 to start recording. Um, So we're going at it with Week 15 stats. Ollie Williams and Ryan Branch both have over 2,000 yards. Ollie Williams has 2,045 yards. I want to say Ryan Branch has 2,023 yards. They both have... 13 drops. They both have 16 touchdowns. Both of their teams have 11 wins. Ollie Williams has a slight lead in fame. So I gave it to Ollie Williams, but man, you cannot go wrong. You can't go wrong with either one of these players. Absolutely phenomenal seasons. And we've talked about Ollie Williams before, how incredible he is. Uh, He actually was 
he was a huge reason why West Lafayette beat me. Um, when we played in, I want to say it was week 10. I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but Ollie Williams absolutely cooked Arthur Hack. And I view Hack as one of the top corners in the league. He burned him 170 some odd yards, absolutely torched him. So congratulations to Ollie Williams and Coach Nil. But I also have to give some congrats to Coach JRD, Ryan Branch. That offense is just humming. And Ryan Branch is a, he is the catalyst for that offense. And they have Kevin Aitken too. So, but either way, Ryan Branch is absolutely ridiculous. I wish I could give out a, a double-sided Offensive Player of the Year award because both of these players deserve it. Phenomenal seasons. Defensive Player of the Year. This one was a little bit easier. There, there's several players that you can make a case for. Um, but for me, I, I had to select Brinson out of River Sticks. Um Reason being is River Sticks has one of the best defenses in the league, certainly one of the best pass defenses. They're actually a top three pass defense. And Brinson had six interceptions on a defense that had eight interceptions total. This guy was their turnover machine on the defense, and he, he helped them win some big games down the stretch. River Sticks played at Richmond, and they beat him by one touchdown, 28-21, phenomenal game. And Brinson was a big part of that. He intercepted Conway. And you can make the argument that, well, that interception didn't do anything because River Sticks didn't go score off of that. But it's a turnover, nonetheless. It took away a scoring opportunity from Richmond and gave River Sticks their offense, gave them wonderful field position. So congratulations to Andrew Brinson, Another phenomenal season. And there was there were several other players that you could really make strong arguments for um that 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 could have that could have won this award. Michael Gifford was one. Clarence Newbill was another one. Clarence Newbill had an absolutely crazy season, 72 passes defense. He had three interceptions with two return touchdowns. What ended up pushing Brinson over the edge for me was his interception totals, one. Um, and, and how important he was to that defense. <clears throat> Excuse me. River Sticks, like I mentioned in the last episode, they're known for having a incredibly tough defense. And they did this year. They had one of the top defenses in the league. They certainly had one of the top pass defenses in the league. And, um, and, and Nashville did not. Their defense was a little on the weaker side. Now, Newbill played a big part in that. Um, I guess it played a big part in them being as strong as they were, but it it was an overall it was an overall defensive performance that really pushed Brinson over the edge for me, if that makes sense. Clarence Newville had a wonderful season. Michael Gifford had a wonderful season. Uh by the 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 notes that I had, Arthur Hack of the Oklahoma Outlaws was up there. Um I would have considered him a dark horse. It would have been a little bit surprising if if he came out and won it, um, because he didn't have the turnovers that that I was really looking for. Um, so Brinson takes it home. Congratulations to Coach Tran and Brinson. Very well deserved in a wonderful way to cap off your season. Finally, I want to talk about Rookie of the Year. I didn't do Rookie of the Year because it's just tough. I can't go filter for for guys who are in their rookie season. But there are a couple of rookies that I really want to talk about 
and it's the number one and number two picks. We're going to talk about Workman over in Dallas and Hills over in Leonia. I love the way that the draft went, and I think that these picks were phenomenal just because of the value that interior offensive linemen are going to bring you. Um, they're, they're hard to find. I mean, you can find decent tackles, but finding quality guards, interior linemen, is just it's very hard in this code, and it's very hard in this league, and it's only going to become harder because people are starting to understand how valuable they are. Both Workman and Hills were day one starters, and especially in the case of Hills, really provided a boost to their offenses. I guess you can say Workman probably just kept status quo over in Dallas. Dallas is known for having just an electric offense, and Workman was a plug-and-play guard that didn't bring down the quality of their offense. But Hills really provided help over in Leonia. Leonia has a quarterback that I think talent-wise is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. His play didn't show it on the field this year. And... I don't think that's because of protection. I think there's there's other reasons for the anemic passing attack over in Leonia, and it was not the protection. Hills was able to step in, and he only gave up one sack on the season. Their quarterback was only sacked 20 times, which is incredible. Which is, which is an incredible uh, improvement in comparison to past seasons. I loved the Hills pick. I thought he was a little bit undersized, but he really came in and played so well, um, and the same goes with Workman. So if, if I had to give out a rookie of the year, I would honestly probably give it to Hills. I think this was a wonderful selection by Coach Fran. It really helped improve that offense, and as long as Leonia can start adding some, some passing weapons, get some new receivers in there that can really attack, attack downfield, that offense is going to improve, and Hills is a big reason for that. He's going to provide stability. So I guess you could say this is a Rookie of the Year award. Sure, I'll give it to Hills. Congratulations to Michael Hills and Coach Fran over in Leonia. Keep it up. I want to see that offense improve. I want to see Leonia become a deadly team. And so far, you're making the moves in order to get there. So congratulations to you both. And now we're going to take a look at the official deep route awards for league 21 it just spun so let's take a look at um let's take a look at who the league gave their awards to starting out with the newcomb award which is handed out to the best quarterback each season gerald conway wins that for his statistical performances now these awards go off of fame so generally it's a stat accumulation um so it's usually going to go to the the player at each position with the best stats um, so Gerald Conway wins that. Congratulations to Gerald Conway. He can add that to his very crowded trophy case. Uh, the Hergen Roder Award handed out to the best running back each season, Charles Burkett from Verdon Vultures. The Nielsen Award, which is handed out to the best fullback each season. We have Roger Trellia from Southeast Texas Rockhopper Penguins. And the Huff Award, which is handed out to the best receiver, Goes to Ollie Williams from West Lafayette, matching up with our Offensive Player of the Year selection. The uh, the Aguilar Award, which is handed out to the best tight end each season. Michael Ingert from the Chicxulub Rainbow Raptors. The Gibbs Award, handed out to the best center, is Calvin Levine from Richmond. Congratulations to Coach Playa and Richmond, two award winners. Uh, the Thacker Award, or the Thacker Award, 
handed out to the best guard each season, Levi Bell from North Franklin nullification. Congratulations, Coach Constant. Um, the Zabel, Zabel, oh, how do you say that? <laughs> the the Zabel Award handed out to the best tackle each season. That's Alfred Giles from Midwest. Congratulations, Coach JRD. The Nugent Award, Nugent Award. Well, where that? What kind of name generator does Q using here? Good God. Nugent Award handed out to Harold De Los Santos from Richmond again. Congratulations, player, with your third award. Uh, the Weston Award handed out to the best defensive tackle each season. Guillermo Spaulding from the 69ers. Congratulations, Coach Scooter. Mullins Award, linebacker. Luis Nelson from Boilermakers. That's Coach Nil. Kutlu Award is uh, Ernest Welcome. <laughs> Ernest Welcome. Boy, what a, what a, what a fucking last name. <laughs> Ernest Welcome from Midwest. Another one for JRD. And finally, last but not least, Middlestat Award, which is handed out to the best safety each season. Clarence Newbill from Nashville, who was a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Congratulations to all of the coaches and all of the players who were selected for awards this season. Phenomenal seasons, and, uh, and you all deserve it. We're getting ready to talk about playoffs, folks. And the game that I want to start with is the biggest game of the Wild Card Weekend. We're looking at Verdin. Versus Midwest, Midwest at Verdun, and this is going. This this is a Titanic matchup. This is a matchup between two of the top coaches in the league, and the the matchup that I'm really focusing on when we watch the game is going to be Verdun's defensive line versus the Midwest offensive line. So Verdun led the league in sacks this year. They had 57 sacks. And they are going up against an offensive line in Midwest that allowed 21 sacks. That was good for 11th in the league. Actually tied for 11th. Uh, there was two players, Nashville and Midwest, at um, at 21. So I'm not going to say that offensive line is a weakness for Midwest, um, but they're they're running an above average offensive line going against an elite pass rushing defensive line, specifically. Looking at the matchup between John Pearlson and Don Weikert. Don Weikert was the sack leader for Verdun. He had 16 sacks by himself. And John Pearlson is the left tackle uh, for Midwest. He's been a... Uh, well, originally he was drafted by... Well, no. was it, Who was he drafted by? He, the first season he played... Maybe he was drafted by Richmond. He was drafted in the fifth round in 21-14. But he didn't see any playing time. Until 21-16. What does his preseason look like? No, he was drafted by Montreal. Drafted by Montreal, let go. Richmond picked him up. Richmond let him go. Now he's with Midwest. Uh, his first regular season action was in 21-16. And uh, beginning in 21-17, he became a full-time starter for Midwest. And he's had he's had some good showings. Um, he allowed four, four sacks in 21-17, six sacks in 21-18. And then he's only allowed three sacks combined uh, over the last two seasons, 21-19 and 21-20. So we have an elite defensive end going against an above-average or a solid pass-blocking left tackle. Now his run-blocking leaves a little bit left behind. It looks like Midwest actually platoons their offensive line. So John Pearlson really isn't out there on running plays that much. He was only in on one running play this season. So he's a pass-blocking specialist going up against an all-around fantastic defensive end. 
So that to me is going to be a huge matchup. You want to make sure that you can give Howell some room to breathe and keeping Weikert away from Howell is the way to do it. But that's the thing. You can keep Weikert down, but can you keep their other players down? Everybody knows Sean Rachi, who is the veteran defensive tackle on that Verdun defensive line, and he has won a few defensive player of the year awards himself. He is a phenomenal pass rusher from that interior line, and he has a running mate that can give him some competition. Evan Kotwitz, seven-year veteran out of UTEP. He had 13 sacks this season. 16 sacks last season. Last season was his breakout year. Um, he, he really he really lit up the stat sheet this year. He had 72 tackles with 7 for loss, 13 sacks, 2 forced fumbles, um, 2 fumble recoveries. Verdin has an absolutely deadly defensive line. And Kotwitz and Rachi are going to be going up against the combination of Ogawa and Marshall. The guards for Midwest Minions. They're both young bucks, and they're both talented, but they're they're vulnerable. Ogawa coming from uh, coming from Penn State. He's in his second season, and he has a little bit of a footwork issue. His footwork can get sloppy, um, and going against a player like Rachi or Kotwitz, you don't have room for error. There's no margin for error, and he's going to have to make sure that he plays a nearly flawless game. Make sure that his footwork is in line in order to keep Howell safe. And then something similar goes for Marshall. His footwork is a little cleaner than Ogawa, but he's slow off the line. That first step, he has 55 first step, which can be deadly against elite pass rushers being able to get the edge on him. So maybe you're going to see more max protect from Midwest for this game as they try to keep Howell upright and keep the ball going down the field instead of having him run for his life and and try to keep plays alive. So, uh, in short, Midwest Minions and for Den Vultures, I'm looking at for Den's defensive line versus Midwest's offensive line. It's a story between elite pass rushing talents and above average pass blocking talents. So it's going to be who can come up with a better game plan, and then on the day of, who can execute it better. So really looking forward to that matchup. Next, let's talk about the River Sticks Reapers versus the West Lafayette Boilermakers. And for me, there's one very precise matchup that I'm looking forward to, and that's going to be reigning Offensive Player of the Year, Ollie Williams versus Merle Citarella, corner from River Sticks. Merle is... So, like I'd mentioned, I will run, at the end of the year, I run this um, statistic, I guess. It would be maybe called an advanced statistic. I don't know how valuable it actually is. Usually, I'll use it for awards. It is kind of time-consuming, so I wasn't able to do it this time. Um, But Merle has been a corner that has really been towards the top of those rankings every year that I've ran them. He's he's an incredibly athletic player. Very fast, great size, very experienced. He's a veteran. He's been in the league for this is his eighth year, so he's very familiar. And he's been in that he's been at River Sticks the entire time, so he's very familiar with that defensive system, and he works very well there. Um, as far as I mean, if you're, he's their corner two, so if you're talking about corner twos in the league, he's certainly up there, one of the best, and he's going to be challenged during this playoff game. And what I would look to 
try to get an idea of how this might go, I would look at the Richmond and River Sticks game. So in the Richmond game, Merle was actually supposed to be covering Chad Green. Kind of. Tran doesn't run one specific defense. He switches it up depending on situation. So there's a little bit of cover two. There's a little bit of man. So you're actually going to see Cusmano and Citarella both covering Chad Green. But Chad Green was was held to, I say held, uh, he was he had nine catches for 104 yards. Um, so a solid game. Certainly doesn't shut him out. And in deep route, it's really hard to have shut down corners. I'm, I'm going to expect a similar performance out of um, out of Williams. And you can even look at the, the matchup between Ollie Williams and Arthur Hack whenever the Boilermakers played us, the Outlaws. And um, Ollie Williams had a phenomenal game. He's an incredibly tough receiver to keep in check. He's very crafty. He's very fast. His routes are great, strong hands. And he's really going to present um, some matchup problems for that River Sticks defense. Now, like I said earlier, River Sticks is a top three pass defense, uh, pass defense. I think they're actually number three. So, I mean, the Boilermakers, Coach, Coach Nil, he really has his work cut out for him. But for me, the key of the game is going to be whether or not River Sticks can keep Ollie in check, or is this going to be a game where he's going to be able to run wild and they're going to be able to secure the upset on River Sticks in River Sticks. I've talked about how difficult that game is. So Ollie Williams, Merle Citarella, the big matchup for that game. Pay attention to it. Moving over to the AFC, let's talk about Fort Wayne and Dallas. Uh, for me, th- there's a couple of keys here. Um, I'll touch on one more than the other, but let's talk about the linebackers for Fort Wayne versus the running backs and tight ends for Dallas. I think that's going to be a big hole in the Fort Wayne defense. Um, when you look at that linebacking core for Fort Wayne, it, it they're really operating on a... Um, on an athleticism deficit in comparison to the matchups they're going to be going against. Really, Clifford Kendall is the only linebacker I feel comfortable putting into coverage from Fort Wayne. And Dallas comes at you in a in a variety of ways. They are very they are very happy to pass to their running backs and get six, seven, eight yards per, per attempt and just march it right down the field. If you have holes in your linebacking core, Dallas will absolutely take advantage of that. And so you need smaller, faster linebackers. And while Fort Wayne does have smaller linebackers, they're lacking in speed or they're lacking in coverage ability. Clifford Kendall is the only one that I really feel comfortable with. And um, they're really going to have to be creative in some of the defensive sets that they bring out onto the field to try to get the matchups that they want. Otherwise, Dallas and Barlow, they're just going to throw all over the field and take those take those short gains and just march it right down. Dallas is an offensive powerhouse, and Fort Wayne had a solid defense this year. They, they really did. They were seventh in points allowed, but this is going to be the best offense that they've played all season, and it's really going to present some unique challenges uh, for their um from, from a game planning perspective. And then the other key that I want to touch on is um, is Jamie Dunning, the rookie quarterback. He he had a great season. Um, first year, I mean, brand new, coming into the league, and he throws for 21 touchdowns and three interceptions, so he had great efficiency numbers. Um, he just needs to grow, and uh, 
And Fort Wayne, Coach Gypsy just needs to continue putting talent around him in order to succeed. I saw that they signed Moulton for the playoffs, it looks like, uh, or right before the playoffs. So they have that veteran presence within the receiving core. That's going to help him a lot. It's going to give him a reliable target as long as they can spend some time together and get their rapport down. They're going to have to spend some time working working together over the next week in order to make sure that they are on the same page for this for this matchup against Dallas. But he's an impressive young quarterback. I think I think Coach Gypsy has found the quarterback of the future. Um, it's just going to be it's going to be tough with his first ever playoff appearance going against a team like Dallas, who is incredibly experienced within the playoffs and they possess certain um, positional advantages. It's going to be a tough game for him. But if if he can overcome that and, and Gypsy can um, Gypsy can be creative with the defensive sets he brings on the field as far as from a uh, matchup standpoint with the running backs and the tight ends from Dallas, it's going to be an interesting game. And last but not least, let's talk about San Francisco versus Montreal. San Francisco is a team that I really didn't expect to make the playoffs. They had, they did exactly what they needed to do. They beat Long Beach Poly by one point, 24-23. Great finale. Um, they had a huge game from Angel Grillette, who had 17 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown. And a big receiving day from Ruben Mullins, 10 catches, 101 yards, one touchdown. Palmer Townsley was 27 to 37 for 270 and two touchdowns, but five sacks. So this is a big deal for San Francisco as they head into a matchup with Montreal. They have a real weakness when it comes to pass blocking. Townsley was sacked 39 times this season, which was 23rd in the league. And Montreal, um, they logged 37 sacks which was good for 13th in the league. So we have a below average offensive line. Boy, I mean, we're top yeah, bottom 10 offensive line going against a well, top 13, I guess, but uh, above average defensive line. So much like the uh much like the story from Midwest and Verdun, it's going to come down to pass rush versus pass blocking. And I really think that Montreal has an advantage here. They're going to be able to put pressure on Townsley, which is critical for them because Townsley is a very talented quarterback. Um, Coach Spartan has that team really going a specific direction. I like what they're doing with Townsley. And if they can keep him upright, they have a real chance here. Uh, touching... <laughs> touching Watts is completely out of the question. Montreal is known for their phenomenal offensive line coach. Their offensive line play is always top of the line. So they're going to have to come up with something on defense, the Spartans will, in order to keep Watts and that Montreal offense in check. But whenever the Spartans have the ball, they need to do whatever they can to keep Townsley upright, whether that's max protect, shorter passes, whatever it might be, they need to game plan around throwing the ball often and throwing the and, and keeping Townsley upright. So really interesting matchups this um, this wild card weekend. Really looking forward to it. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, how the divisional round plays out. So I'm the one seed and the Rock Hopper Penguins are the two seeds. So I am going to play the winner of Montreal and the Spartans. And then Dallas is going to get the winner of, or not, sorry, not Dallas. The Penguins are going to get the winner uh, between Dallas and and Fort Wayne. So um, some interesting matchups coming up. We have some really tight matchups on the NFC side, some matchups on the AFC side that may be a little bit more predictable, but there could be some upsets. 
and looking forward to seeing how the rest of the playoffs end up turning out. Now that we've talked about the playoffs, I want to talk about Conway. Just a real brief segment. I want to give Conway my biggest round of applause as he completely shattered the height change passing touchdown record. He threw for 62 patch, uh, patch downs, touchdowns this season, and that's been a mark that Coach Playa has really been chasing for quite some time now. He's been chasing 50 for several seasons, and he's fallen short a couple times, 49 being the highest mark that he achieved, and then now he's jumped it from 49 all the way up to 62. I've I've mentioned this before, so I don't want to take up too much time, but the man is a bona fide Hall of Famer. He has it all. Big arm. He's intelligent. He's a great leader. He's clutch. Anything you could ask for, Conway's got it. And I just want to give a shout-out to Conway and Coach Playa for achieving their goal. You guys deserve it. Congratulations. All right, all right, all right. No more Conway talk. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's talk about the teams who um, – there's three teams that I want to talk about who I think are up-and-coming and who are right on the cusp of being um, perennial playoff teams, contenders. And I want to start with North Franklin nullification. And some of you might be saying, what? They only won four games, but they were competitive. They were very, very competitive all season. I only beat them by one touchdown. It was 34-27. They only lost to the San Francisco Spartans, a playoff team, mind you. They only lost to them by two points. They only lost to the Penguins by three points. Um, they lost to the Qs by three points. They lost to Verdun by 15. Borderline blowout. They only lost to the Jack... Or actually, they beat the Jackrabbits. So this is a team that does that was very competitive this season. Um, they also have some, they have talent on that team. Christopher Ward is their quarterback. He had a productive season, 25 touchdowns, eight interceptions, and he's young. What is this? His fourth year, his fifth year. What are we looking at? It's his third year. This is his third year. Um, and he has good receiving talent around him. Now, Timothy Bowers is in his second season. James Kennedy is in his sixth. Gerald Elswick is in his seventh. This depends on how Bowers ends up um, ends up improving. They may want to look at adding a little bit more receiving talent. If they don't, I understand. He's got he's got receiving talent around him. And where I may actually focus, if, if you don't go with receiver, would be on the offensive line. Make sure you have that offensive line tight. Make sure that you keep adding talent, drafting guards. It looks like you do have a bit of a, a, a an issue with guard with Clay Johnson and Levi Bell, both being older players. They're on the decline. Same with your tackles, Matthew Jones, Louis Stapleton, uh, or Stapleton, uh, both older players. You need to get younger. Make sure that you give Ward some. Um, some pass protection. And then obviously on the defensive side of the ball, you need some more depth at corner. Um, so I would actually put priorities on offensive line and corner and then look to try to get some pass rushers. You Well, you did. You drafted Kenneth Matza. I forgot. Kenneth Matza, wonderful pick. I think he's going to develop into a high-quality pass rusher. So offensive line and corner and uh, add another receiver if you can, and that's going to become a playoff team. They were very competitive. They were spooky. They... <laughs> I was watching the game against them when they played uh, at the Outlaws, and 
I thought I was about to be upset. I thought it was about to be a bad time, folks. So North Franklin nullification. I like them to be a quick, improve, a quickly improved team. And uh, I look forward to seeing what Coach Constant can do to them. Next up is the Southern 69ers and the San Francisco Spartans. I'm going to loop. I'm going to uh, lump them into the same conversation because I think they're the same kind of team. Uh, Southern has had some success here recently. He's been to the playoffs. He's at, I, there was a season. Um, I think he went like 13 and three, 12 and four a few seasons ago. And then you obviously have the San Francisco San Francisco Spartans, who we've already spoken about a little bit, who are making the playoffs this year. So both of these teams are very promising. They have good young quarterback talent. The the 69ers actually have a couple of quarterbacks that are that are promising. We have Juan Parsley. <laughs> Fucking hell, man! Juan Parsley and Paul Noon. Um, Juan Parsley is a second-year player out of LSU. He was a fourth-round pick in 2119, and then Paul Noon is a uh, more of the veteran type. Neither one of them have incredibly strong arms, but both of them have been productive. The main thing that I would say for the 69ers is make sure that you are staying on top of your offensive line talent. Your receivers are very talented, certainly talented enough, especially adding in your, your tight ends. You certainly have enough receiving talent to give Parsley or Noon the weapons that they need. Just give them the protection that they need. Juan Parsley was sacked 28 times this season. Your guards, um, well, your John Carter is a phenomenal guard, and he's a veteran, so he has the the experience bonus. That's completely, that, that's the kind of player that you're obviously wanting to really hold down your line. It's kind of like Michael Hills for Leonia, but you're going to want to find replacements for Curiel and Somerville. Somerville was your starter. He's in his ninth season as well. Low first step. He's going to be getting beat off of the line and really being a um, really being a nuisance for your pass protection. So make sure that you upgrade those guys. Get another guy in there to go with John Carter. Your tackles are serviceable. They could use an upgrade as well. They're a little light on athleticism for my taste. Uh, and actually, from a, from a sack allowed standpoint, that looks like where some of your issues came from. Mark Bailey gave up three, and Matthew Falcon gave up four. I actually really like Matthew Falcon. This season may just be an anomaly. Last season, he had over 900 pass-blocking snaps, and he gave up zero sacks. So Matthew Falcon works completely fine. You may look to upgrade Bailey, but I wouldn't say tackles are a high priority. Just get someone else in there for guard. And then San Francisco really needs to replace Blackmore and Malin Drucolo. Those guys are huge holes in your offensive line. And this goes back to the conversation of keeping Townsley upright, protect that man. You may want to add another receiver. And then you also, you need to, they need to be looking at their, their secondary. Their secondary is full of veterans. John Fye, their top corner is in his 12th season. Albert Hale, their second corner is in his 11th season. Their nickel corner, Anton Harrell is in his 10th season. Scott Shanks is in his 11th season as a as a dime and then Bobby Ranke as the quarter corner the fifth corner he's in his ninth season you San Francisco needs some youth in that secondary um, they need it in a bad way so I would say add another receiver replace those guys on the offensive line and get some youth in that secondary and uh, and this is a team that's going to be competing every single season for the playoffs Last but not least, I want to do a quick roundup of some of my favorite moments from this past season. Um, there were certainly some crazy games, 
and some some nail biters and one of those was the Boilermakers versus the Outlaws. I touched on this earlier because of how well the Ollie Williams had played, but just a incredibly unique game. West Lafayette beat me 7 to 10 and it was a game where my offense had over 500 yards, but I only had 10 points. The absolute epitome of bend but don't break there were some very timely turnovers I think I had two fumbles but even with those two fumbles what in the absolute hell am I doing with 500 yards and only 10 points I mean are we are we driving down to the 35 yard was I am very aggressive on fourth down so more than likely what happened was coupled with the turnovers I probably didn't convert all of my fourth downs and it led to a very sad game um but that was a, maybe not for me, maybe from a viewer perspective, that would have been a very entertaining game, watching my offense fail over and over again while racking up the big numbers. Another game that was very entertaining, uh, much to the chagrin of, of Richmond, was the River Sticks versus Richmond game where Coach Tran pulled off his patented fourth quarter comeback scoring 18 points in the fourth corner to beat Richmond 28-21 this is something that uh, River Sticks is just absolutely phenomenal at and they actually got me with it in a Super Bowl several seasons ago Um, I was up 17 to 3 I think I think it was 17 to 3 with four minutes left to go Four minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm up 17 to three, and River Sticks comes back and beats me. And they've done this several times since then. Huge fourth quarter, 18 points. Gerald Calhoun going off uh, in the fourth quarter. Absolutely, just incredibly entertaining game. Um, yeah, that fourth quarter it gives me flashbacks. I mean, it gives me just straight up flashbacks to the feelings that I had when I was watching that Super Bowl slip away from me. I know it frustrated uh, Coach Playa, but very uh, very entertaining fourth quarter to watch and one of my favorite moments of the season. And then this is a group of favorite moments from the season, but we're going to talk about the Penguins. And I can't nail it down because he had so many. He had so many tight games in the fourth quarter or going to overtime and it was just absolutely phenomenal. Coach Jaws really has that team coached up. They execute when necessary. And they have a ton of young talent on that team. Robert Giannino is just a phenomenal player, up-and-coming star. And uh, and through his precise coaching, they were able to win the games that separate good teams and bad teams. They were able to win those close games and bring themselves to the number two seed in the AFC. Just listen to this. They beat Midwest by one point. They beat Richmond by six in overtime. They beat Chickasha by five. Um, they beat Reddick by one point. They beat the Long Beach Poly Jackrabbits by three points. They beat North Franklin by three points. I mean, they just had these nail biters that really required precision at the end of the game and... Coach Jaws really came up with game plans, and those players executed flawlessly in order to get them those victories. And it, it's a bit terrifying because you'll find that in the playoffs, those games get tighter. And just based off of the 
based off of the literature that we have from this season regarding Southeast Texas, if you're in a close game with the Penguins, you'd better watch out because they have experience with it. They've got their game plan down, and that's a tough team to beat whenever things get tight. Okay, guys, that wraps up episode three of the Deep Route podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or if you want to make any content suggestions for the next episode, feel free to DM me. I'm always open to, to help. I try to gather all of this material by myself, and sometimes it causes me to miss things or make mistakes. So if you have any suggestions on content or whatever it might be, feel free to DM me and uh, and we can go from there. Thank you so much. I hope everybody has a wonderful Sunday, a wonderful week, and I'll be talking to you next weekend. Thanks, everybody.